can help you when you are young with education, especially for students who have learning disabilities. Years ago, somebody asked me what my moonshot would be in education. I said, I want one physical teacher and 30 virtual teachers. Welcome to the AI Decoders the System podcast. I'm your host, Amber Ivey, also known as AI. AI Decoders the System is a series of podcast interviews with industry experts and everyday people who will help explain topics related to policy, tech, data, law, and other current issues in plain language. The goal of this podcast is to help close the knowledge gap in a world that's moving fast and inundated with a lot of information. So sit back, grab your notebook, and enjoy the show. Dr. Rama Shalapa, or Rama for short, is a pioneering researcher and inventor in the fields of computer vision, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. A Bloomberg Distinguished Professor in Electrical, Computer, and Biomedical Engineering, he is also affiliated with the Johns Hopkins Institute for Assured Autonomy, the Center for Imaging Science, the Mathematical Institute for Data Science, and the Center for Language and Speech Processing. A fellow of eight professional societies, including the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, the Association for the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence, and the Association for Computing Machinery and the National Academy of Inventors. Shalapa holds eight patents. His works have been featured by the Associated Press, BBC, and National Geographic. Hello, Dr. Shalapa. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ms. Ivy, and thanks for having me on your show. No problem. Do you mind if I call you Rama just for our conversation today? Not at all. Okay. So Rama, you've been studying artificial intelligence for a very long time. I read your story personally, but can you tell the audience what made you get into this industry? Yeah, in general, I was interested in technology. I think the way it worked in those days in India is if you are good at math, they immediately say you are going to be in engineering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you really had, almost like you had no choice. I mean, you had choice, but it was understood that if you are reasonably good at math, you become an engineer. So it turned out. But I was very interested about the moon landing. As I say in my book, in 1969, mm-hmm. I heard the landing live on the radio, right? And a few weeks later, my cousin, who was a lecturer at a local engineering college, got two tickets to go Mm -hmm. to the U.S. consular office in Chennai, Madras, India, to watch a movie about it. So I watched the movie and I was thrilled that there is technology that would take a person to the moon Mm -hmm. and then bring the person back. So I was hooked into engineering and technology. So I continued my studies in engineering and then I came to Purdue and then I specialized in one uh, form of discipline, which is a subfield of artificial intelligence. So it is known as computer vision, Mm -hmm. pattern recognition and so on. So this is something I have been now working for almost 42 years. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I love that you started as a child thinking about these things and really looking at the future of what would eventually be your amazing career. As you know, this show is called AI Decodes the System because we break down different topics related to technology, data, policy, and law. Today, we're really going to delve into technology and one technology in particular, which is artificial intelligence. Why did you decide to write the book, Can We Trust AI? Why right now? And what is this book about? Yeah. You know, AI has been there for almost 65 years. There was a summer workshop in 1956 where some of the best minds in the country got together and discussed, you know, about this field. So I like to say if AI were a human being, it is ready to collect social security check (laughs) and and, and be on Medicare, (laughs) right? 
So AI has had its ups and downs. It has been there for a while. Since 2010, it has become a very active field again because now AI knows how to mine data because we have powerful computers and we have a lot of data. And so along with it, you know, there are also concerns about AI. Is the AI stealing our data? Is, is it intruding into our privacy? Or does it show any bias towards one subgroup of population and so on? Mm-hmm. And does it work all the time, everywhere? So all of these concerns are there. So I thought we will write a balanced book, account of AI, pointing out the good things it has done, it is doing, and it will. And at the same time, acknowledge some of these concerns and point out technology always gets improved, always gets refined. We are not driving Model T anymore. We are driving Tesla. (laughs) So there's been a lot of improvement since Model T. So the same thing will happen with AI. With time, it will get better. So all of these concerns are real and they are being worked on. And so I thought we should provide because people get the impression about AI by looking at movies like, you know, iRobot and Terminator and all that thing. And of course, I was very much helped by my co-author, Eric Neiler, and the editorial staff at Johns Hopkins University Press. You know, a book like this is a team effort because it's it has to be written in a nice way so it is accessible to a lot of people you know so i was very much helped by my co-author and all the editors so that's why we decided right because trustworthy ai Mm -hmm. is very important people have to trust this technology that it will do good very true because everyone we're going to get into this in a few minutes but i know right now like and like you said, over the last decade or so, people have like normal people, right? Everyday people like me, who I don't research this topic, right? We've been getting inundated with AI and hearing more about it. But you're right, it's been there for a very long time and in a lot of different applications. So I'm glad you talked about yes. that. I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about that as we have our sure. discussion. But before we go there, as an expert in this industry, what do you believe are the benefits of AI in the world today and how will it improve our lives? Yeah, uh, one can look at many different sectors where AI is being applied Mm -hmm. now. From being a simple recommender system, you know, you order a book in Amazon, immediately you get a response saying, oh, people who got this book also looked at these other books. Or you see a Netflix movie and then immediately you say, hey, people who saw this movie also like and so on. In fact, Netflix even will tell you how confident it is that it is matching your interest, right? 97% matches and so forth, right? So these are you know, interesting applications, but the applications that we think will revolutionize are in medicine. Mm. You know, AI can mine the continuous data that is collected. We go and see a doctor and then we take lab work and there is a report right. and there is times X-rays and CT and MRI and so on. And even natural language conversations between the doctor and the patient, all of the can be securely kept someplace and the AI can work with them and kind of look for something. Humans, we can remember data a little bit. In fact, if you see a doctor, the same doctor over a period of time, when you go, they will immediately take your file and kind of see where you were last time and they will ask you about that and so forth. They're not going to remember what happened Mm -hmm. eight years ago. But AI can, right? AI can look for long-term things and what trends are and so forth. And it will give some hints to the doctor. It will be like the physician assistant. It will be like a software assistant. Mm, Yeah, mm -hmm. right? So it's not going to send you to OR. uh, No, it's not going to do that. The doctor is there uh, because, you know, that's important. But it will give a doctor some 
possibilities and so forth and and you know it will say maybe this person should take this booster now because it's been 10 years uh, tetanus booster is needed the doctor may not remember mm-hmm. you may not remember i mean simple things like that and, but then even more sophisticated things that it can look for and uh, of course in the self-driving cars ai is present because it collects a lot of data from cameras and then comes up with uh, ways to navigate traffic you know and understands the rules and and all mm-hmm. of that so domain knowledge is being used and so on so these are basically if a car has these sensors and then if it can alert you about the cars and adjacent lanes, then you will be careful when you switch lanes. In fact, there's one car I test drove years ago. If I try to change lanes without giving the turn signal, it will bring me back to my lane. I was kind of having fun with it on the freeway, you know. I'll go take it there and it'll bring me back, I'll take it there, bring me back. And uh, the person who was with me, the, the car salesperson said, why don't you just go and uh, accelerate and go near the car mm-hmm. in front of you, your car will automatically stop. I said, I don't want to take that risk. I have not tested that yet. But it does give me an alert, right. my car. It gives me an alert that I may hit. So these are things that will reduce uh, accidents. These are things that will reduce the mm-hmm. number of, you know, 30,000 to 40,000 people die on our highways, accidents, various reasons and so on. So the safety of our livelihood it is going to be better. And health, of course, it can also be useful in education. Mm-hmm. You know, there are children with the different skills and you know abilities in learning and AI can be a good tutor, a personalized tutor. So what we think may happen eventually is personalized medicine. You are no longer an average. You are, you know, Miss Amber Ivy, right? Yeah. So the AI knows. So next time, if you order oyster somewhere, it'll say, ding you know did you remember what happened the last time right last time you did this <laughs> it can potentially i mean so it'll be there as a friend and of course you know even our best friends sometimes can be troublesome <laughs> we all have mm-hmm. best friends like that so ai has to be watched like yeah. all technologies we have to refine it we have to make it better eventually it will do good things it's a good thing to have it I'm glad you brought up just the different ways that we're going to work with AI. And I love that you say it's not an AI versus human type world, right? It's AI with humans and working together. Yes. And I love the fact that you talk about how even in the medical field, me personally, I live with multiple sclerosis, but I had to figure that out because I kept like asking my doctor and trying to like show indicators. But imagine if AI could have read my scans of everything that I had, seen my levels and how things were changing, seeing the different effects and what I was dealing with. And then looking at a system that had other like issues or symptoms and be able to say to my doctor, hey, you should probably do these tests. That would be amazing. Like the idea of personalized medicine, the idea of personalized tutoring, um, it just makes me really excited. But I love the idea, like you said, of AI and humans working together, because I do believe that is the future. Yeah. But some people may be a little bit more skeptical or may not even know what the heck we're talking about. Like we say these words like AI or artificial intelligence and all these other buzzwords, seemingly buzzwords and technology. Yeah. But I have a two-year-old and a seven or eight-year-old now niece. How would you explain AI to them and explain some of the simple ways AI shows up in their life? Yeah, I would start with the eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. I will show them a Tesla car and I will take them to a dealer mm-hmm. and I'll show them. And then I will take it for a test drive 
thing many kids know this there used to be a show called night rider mm. talking car mm-hmm. yep talking cars long time ago right yep. so fly, flying cars right and all of that so all, every all the kids are excited by that you can explain to the 8 year old how uh, this car can potentially drive without the driver doing anything and the cameras are there and they collect information and they process them and they tell them where the other cars are so it can maneuver around those cars and then you know it will know when to stop and go on so forth so that is ai living inside a car that is a good example for a 2 year old i was thinking a little hard about that when i saw the question this is you know i don't know we can try it and see what you think <laughs> there is a new thing called chat gpt yep. you know there is everybody is excited so i will give a, a nickname to that uh, so what is the gender for the 2 year old kid she's a girl she's a girl so i will mm-hmm. give some friendly you know uh, the girl name i say hey sit down and talk to it nice and then she will be amazed he said wait a minute it's not like a radio which just goes on i'm asking something what day is today and you know it's, it's so it, this is uh, you know thursday oh okay to, what do you like to do and so on and then she say wait how is that this is happening like a computer is talking then you can explain to them mm-hmm. that this is natural language processing somebody listened to a lot of such conversation and put together a system so you can almost imagine there is a person sitting inside the computer and talking to you right it's not a canned thing it's not like you putting a cd mm-hmm. and it it does the same thing every time she talks to it will be different the questions will be different and so after a while let's say you give a, some nickname call it i don't know cindy or whatever you call it so you want to talk to cindy or two you will say yeah yeah i want to please switch on the laptop and you know then you can slowly get her to understand there's no person sitting inside the laptop but right. it is what we call as artificially intelligent system because it talks like an intelligent system right a lot of you, you might have already seen this thing has gone viral a lot of people are saying oh it just doesn't say things right that right and everybody is excited in fact when you try to get on to it it says i'm sorry there's just too many people talking to me you know sometimes yeah right yeah it shuts down i was using it yesterday and it shut down multiple times yeah. when i was playing with it so i think that may be appropriate for a 2 year old i don't know this is an experiment <laughs> i think so too because familiar with at least like alexa and things like that so she asks yeah. alexa questions at the age of 2 which is wild to me yeah. she's always like typing on a computer thinking she's doing something yeah 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 um she knows her alphabet already right. like she right. can count yeah she's like really yeah, advanced yeah. for her age um so i think she would definitely understand that yeah i think she's going to be a super ai researcher 20 20 years from now <laughs> i'm with that <laughs> so what are some other ways uh other than like the teslas of the world or even some of the stuff happening with chat gpt which is now like in the news all over the place cuz everyone has access to it through open ai what are some of the other things that we use in our day-to-day lives that most people don't even realize are ai um i think the recommender systems i think uh, you know people may not realize that because every time yep. you go to amazon you know you get that right so there is no version of ai uh, doing that and then you will notice with time it changes what it recommends yep. if you continue to see certain types of movies netflix will just bring them up all the time because it just says no you this is what you like and you say wait a minute no i like other things too right so uh, you know so that is the thing that they can relate to and i think uh, you know right now ai is present in uh, self driving cars is where it's dominantly present medical it is 
slowly there. At least there are 120 or so medical uh, procedures based on AI apparently have been approved by FDA. So they oh, wow. will hear it more and more. Okay. And I think uh, more and more what will happen is the doctor may tell them, you know, I, this is, uh, you know, my opinion based on my training. I also have a confirming opinion from this AI, you know, sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is going to be an interesting dynamic in medicine. There will be a triplet, a patient, AI, and the doctor, right? Now, right. you know, before AI came, uh, we trusted whatever the doctor said, right? The doctor says, you know, based on the report, this is what I recommend because the doctor has been trained well. You know, in this country, they go through really very, very serious training. My two children are doctors, so I, I know oh, nice. how, how good, uh, you know, they're, they're trained. Uh, and so we trust them. And uh, now there is an, another thing sitting there, AI, and the patient may ask, well, doctor, I know you went to a good medical school, but what about this little box here is telling you something? And what about it? Then, no, so we need to have the trust that the machine knows what it is doing and it's confident enough and all that. So I think they will see more and more of that. It's slowly happening and I think that's going to happen. But right now, if you ask me, where AI is present, I will say natural language models. Chat GPT is a great example, and there are many versions of that. I'll say Siri is an example. There is a version of AI sitting there, Alexa version of AI is sitting there. For example, one of my friends said that he was casually discussing buying mattresses, and then when he logs into the computer, all these commercials from mattress companies come, right? Exactly. So that that is AI, <laughs> because somebody is uh, figuring something about you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's where it is right now, but it's getting more and more uh, visible. Yeah. Yeah, because I know I was talking to someone and they were like, I don't understand why I say something and the ad comes up. I'm like, it's listening, it's literally processing what you're saying to get you that ad um, and other yes. behaviors as well. So it was pretty cool that it's already here. We're already working with it. And it's also cool about the future of AI and what it's going to look like in the next 10 years. I'm right. really excited about that. Yes, yes. I know in reading your book, um, you discussed some of the more controversial applications like self-driving cars. And yeah. we already started to hint, hint yeah. at that a little bit. I know a lot of people are very afraid of Tesla's ability to um, let a car go full self-drive. And they've seen the videos where people are sleeping in cars, dogs are driving cars, and all these things are happening. Yeah, what are yeah, your thoughts yeah. on letting AI fully take over our roadways? I think, you know, in every technology, we have what we call as a real pie-in-the-sky idea. Mm-hmm. I'm not calling fully automation as pie-in-the-sky, but it is a worthy goal for technologies to think about because we have to imagine. Mm-hmm. See, we don't build things for tomorrow or next week. We build things for 10 years out. Right. Right. So fully automated car, you know, is very exciting. You know, people say, oh, I can just, you know, make a sandwich and, you know, I can have a little kitchen in my, I personally would like to have an espresso machine in my coffee. <laughs> so just put it there and drink and read a book and kind of, okay, as, as Hopkins come, maybe I can get down. Exactly. But my view is actually we computer vision people worked on this problem since the mid 80s in fact my mentor suggested project known as autonomous land vehicle more for military in those days because these things were bulky and you know and the sensors were bulky and and so on so the way i see it is that to get to the fully automation you still have to have a lot of other component technologies done as an example alerts about cars in adjacent lanes alert that you're going you may hit the car in front of you or when you reverse you know what's out there in the back and so on Mm -hmm. okay 
these are extremely useful to reduce accidents, to reduce the number of deaths. So full automation is a great technology goal. But for it to happen, this, this is what I was thinking the other day. Let's assume there are 10 people who are willing to go full automation. And then there are 10 people like me who say, no, I like all these safety features, but I still want to drive. Okay. Then what happens is you have a mix of things on the road. The full automation uh, car, automated cars, you can think of them as AI because it's fully automated. It does everything on its own. It has rules it, you know, and so on. But the ones that I drive, you can consider them as humans because I'm driving it, although there are safety features. Immediately, this brings into discussion how humans and AI can work together. Right. Now, imagine I'm going on a freeway 65 miles an hour. There's not much space for making mistakes. So unless everything is automated, there's going to be some kind of confusion when you have some automated cars and some semi-automated cars, right? So it's not clear how it's going to shape up. But there are some domains where full automation is being thought of. For example, they want to have a fully automated 18-wheeler carrying stuff on the freeways because they say freeway driving is more organized. Right. You stay on the lane and you don't change unless, you, whereas, you know, if you go into the city, it's a little different. The traffic is a little bit more complicated. So there are some applications like that where full automation is warranted. In fact, uh, Dr. Tom Strad, a friend of mine who was in DARPA and managed the DARPA Grand Challenge, he says in the book, the way to really test my confidence in the automated car is I, how long can I close my eyes and drive? <laughs> he says, few seconds. Right. And he's a technologist of, you know, extreme capability. I mean, lives and breathes mm -hmm. uh, technology in computer vision technology in particular. So that's what he says, right? So it all depends on how much, uh, how comfortable we are. That's true. Not everybody is, is going to be comfortable. As he says, you know, he can only close his eyes for a few seconds. So fully automated car, should we give up? I don't think so. There are people with different preferences for driving. Some people like to drive. And even if you want to completely let the car drive, I think it's individual's preference. That's what I'm going to say. There may be some applications where a convoy of fully automated vehicles, you know, can go and so on, maybe in battlefields and things like that you know that's potentially possible and uh, but in in our lives day-to-day -day lives there's going to be a mix okay do you think at any point that insurance companies when they start to see how effective automation is will mm -hmm. charge more for your insurance if you don't have those features it's possible but uh, you know i think they're going to look at the risk Mm -hmm. For example, even now, for different age groups, they have different rates. You know, folks younger than 25, the charges are higher. So they calculate based on the risk. So for them to come to that, there should be enough number of automated cars so they can really see the impact and then they can, you know, revise it. But I think if my rates go up, uh, that's fine. I may still prefer to drive because I like to have control of the steering wheel. It's just right. the way I <laughs> <laughs> despite being an AI researcher. In fact, there was a poll some years ago. They asked people whether they would be happy to fly in a plane without the pilots. Mm. <laughs> you know, okay? 
Now, about, I think 60 to 70% of Germans apparently said, yeah, we are fine. Okay. <laughs> but now, in fact... Autopilot 90... is heavily driving them now, but... <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, but 90% of the long flights mm-hmm. are done by computers. Yeah. The pilots are, you know, watching it and then, they, of course, take off landing, right. you know, do that. But, you know, once they put the coordinates, you know, it kind of takes care of the flights, right? But still, I am happy to see a gray-haired... Uh, a pilot Same. when I'm sitting in my 777, the big boy, you know, okay, so this guy must have flown for some time. So he probably knows where all the buttons are. <laughs> so I feel that. So again, the comfort for the passengers, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I am not as comfortable with full self-drive. I love the features. I think it's great. Like I've driven Teslas and I love the features and how it like helps support me, but I don't yeah. think I'll be to the point, at least in the next 10 to 15 years where I'm like, give over full control. I just can't. And I agree with you. Like airplanes have been driving us for a while now, but it's still something about seeing that human in the cockpit that makes me feel okay. I don't think I can walk in there if there's no human there. Or even if it's yeah. a robot that looks like a human, like someone has to yeah. be there that gives me some form of comfort right. in what I'm yeah. used to. Yeah. In fact, I used to joke that the airlines uh, pay pilots to color their hair white so that the, the, the passengers feel more comfortable. I, so. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's happening. I I'm have never joking. seen one that's hair isn't white. Now that you said it, so I think it does make you feel like, oh, this is an expert and makes us all feel safe. So I yeah, think there's something right. there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you want to be comfortable. Yeah, and that's important with technology, right? Yeah. The whole building trust and. Um, yes, yes. Like sharing that. And I know in the last week, it's been a little crazy out here with the AI artist conversation, particularly around things like Lenza and yeah. other applications that are using AI. And then I know yeah. ChatGPT has been all the buzz now mm-hmm. as well. And the topic of AI is bringing a lot of people now into the conversation who never thought about it. What are your thoughts on how AI might be misused in the future? Some of the ethical challenges or questions that come up for you and how do we actually safeguard so we can move towards the future where yeah. we're working with AI? Right, right. I think uh, you know there are some applications of AI where the algorithm may not uh, be doing the best thing possible. Yeah. Face recognition, you know, is is often discussed uh, in this context. It's possible if the data is not properly curated or we don't use the proper loss functions mm-hmm. and so on. Performance may be different for different groups of people. If you train using, you know, let's say Caucasians and then you test it on Asian faces, you know, it's going to be lower. So we have to make sure we train it properly. Now, what I tell Ms. Ivy is that it's still an algorithm. I can probe it. I can give examples, I can see how it behaves, I can evaluate the results and so on. So, well, AI bias is something that we should be concerned about, but we can also reduce, mitigate bias, maybe not to zero, but we can manage, right? So I tell people, so you compare with human bias, (laughs) you know? That's, that's, we can talk right. about that for a couple of hours, right? So what are you comparing with? That's what I asked them, you know? And some humans have biases about other humans, you know, how they look, how they speak, where they come from. And so on. there is no algorithm to mitigate that. Hopefully only by educating from childhood onwards. Right. You know, when a child is born, child has no bias. Right child doesn't know bias. Whoever, some child may be shy, some child may be outgoing, but, you know, 
but they're not going to i mean they're always wary of strangers as they should mm-hmm. be <laughs> right uh, but i don't think they carry a pie but then over a period you know it kind of goes this way or that way so i always tell people let's think of what we are comparing with i can't even measure anything with human bias i can only educate them we have all this retraining this and that we do sometimes but ai bias can be measured i can probe it mm-hmm. and i can figure out a way to reduce it and i cannot guarantee 100% uh, it will go away and there is a trade off between bias and the uh, performance right. and so forth right so so this is all uh, thing that we can analyze and look at so that is the comforting thing that we have about because it's after all a technology you know it's it's not magic carpet it's it's in your computer and we have a code we can look at it we can fix it so most technologies don't do well 100% you know on day 1 but they get better i definitely agree with you i know I've had conversation with folks around predictive analytics in particular um, and different algorithms and how you can use those actually to identify that bias and to make sure it takes that into account. And I think a lot of people don't think about that, that you can train it and help it understand what the current state is so it can keep that in mind. And I love that you yeah. said the pieces that you were talking about around, we can test it, we can make modifications. It's not like we're putting one thing out and we stop there. Like you said, Model T to Tesla, yeah. we have the ability to play around with things. Right. And at the end of the day, it is never going to be as biased as humans. And even with folks who are a little bit more concerned around like self-driving cars and accidents with self-driving cars, still never in most situations will not have as many accidents as humans. Yeah, because humans, I see people carrying a cell phone and then driving with oh, yeah. one hand. I think we have become addicted to the ding sound from the cell phone the moment it is there we have to see what the message is right immediately yeah so uh, and then you know we did some study for department of transportation i don't know in the mid 90s we put a camera dashboard camera to see driver glance and it was startling to us that only 20% of the time people were looking at the road they're looking here they're looking they're looking down and you know yeah i mean it was really crazy and so we gave that report uh accidents are happening like that so anyway i think the point is we can fix uh, we can address the bias in an algorithm right no that's super helpful and back to your point about folks are looking at the road 20% we definitely need <laughs> AI to support us in this future world we're living in for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think we can think of having a camera looking at say hey, hey, look look straight down the road. What are right. you doing? I mean, <laughs> or that. it's possible. It's possible. Or if it yeah. tells you you've been looking down too long, look up. Yeah, yeah, it's doable. Yeah, it's doable. Yeah. And I know we're talking about biases now, but what are some of the biases um that are inherent in the software like things that you just expect to come up i know we start digging into a little bit but like more specifically what are things that you're concerned about and that you see come up yeah i think you know we built a face recognition mm-hmm. system then we we probed mm-hmm. it and we found it had some bias to gender and it did better for males and females and then it had bias towards skin tones and so on and then we developed a couple of algorithms to reduce the bias so we published it so we are telling people this, this is possible you know but you have to explore you have to probe the algorithm in fact there is this 2018 study that came from MIT that uh, looked at uh, you know faces of light skin males and females from netherlands and dark skin males and females from some african countries mm-hmm. took three existing commercial face recognition algorithms and did gender classification right 
Now, some careful study was done about that by one of my friends at Caltech, a professor Pietro Perona. Of course, the first people thought, you know, it is being sensitive to you know, gender and skin tone, and it was not, you know, doing well for dark skin males and females and so forth. But what happened in that particular data set, I think, is the hairstyle was also very similar because the conservative parliamentarians from Netherlands mm. and the faces from the African countries, they belong to politicians and newscasters and so forth. So the, everybody had a short, <laughs> close hair. So the machines can get confused. It can make mistakes. So, you know, what do we attribute to the mistakes? Do we attribute to the fact that they all have very similar hairstyle or, you know, it's actually a skin tone uh, and the gender and so on. So they're all kind of in the mix. So that made us look at our own system okay. to see if there is a bias. And then we told how we can reduce the bias and developed uh, versions that have less bias than the ones before. So I think AI in the good old days was based on domain knowledge. Mm -hmm. For example, when AI plays chess, it understands the rules for the chess, is programmed, and then it looks 30 moves ahead, and that's why it's able to beat grandmasters. Mm -hmm. Now, it's all data. Mm -hmm. So if the data is not of high quality, properly collected, curated, and used, you're going to see issues. In fact, it's a statistics theory that when you have noise in your data, you're going to have bias in your estimates. Proven, we can prove that, right? In face recognition, you kind of can figure out what you may be biased to. But in general AI, mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out. So, But there are methods to probe what the output depends on and then how much they are expressed in the features that we learned for the AI to work and then how we can kind of moderate them and so on. So no, not one thing becomes very dominant. Mm. You know, if you have five people and one of them very strongly opinionated and talks very loudly, uh, maybe the conversation kind of may all go towards Correct. what that person is thinking, right? So so we have to make this activation map, we call it, in neural networks. So we have to kind of watch them and make them behave equally well for all populations and things like that. So that, that technique is available. That's super helpful. Thank you for breaking that down because I know people, the first thing that always comes up is bias in AI and a lot yeah. of people bring that up. Another issue that comes up often is privacy. What are your thoughts on the privacy front as it relates to AI? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I think what has happened now is that we have to be very savvy. Okay. We have to know what information we are sharing and what is the outcome of that. The example I give, when I go to supermarket, I give my telephone number. There's a bonus savings, they call it. I get, uh, you know, two strawberry boxes and one blueberry box free or two dollars of shaving cartridges and things like that so here i exactly know what's happening i'm giving my phone number i'm getting some discounts but there are other situations you know when i use a platform social network platform and this and then i don't know what exactly so we have to be careful if you put something up there you have to assume that it will go somewhere and you know etc now what i'm saying is that some of these uh, platforms, you know, they give you maps, they give you Gmail and all of those things. So they have to support that. And so they like to use the information, you know, and sell it to the advertisers mm -hmm. and so forth. So you have to be very careful mm -hmm. what you give. Suppose if I just say, uh, Ms. Ivy, can I have your social security number, please? You're not going to give it no, to me. But we give yes. up almost the equivalent. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So you have to, you know, right away, yeah. right? Whereas some things you have to be careful. 
okay so privacy is something it depends on an individual's comfort you know what you put out i mean the younger generation seems to put everything up i would not put any of my crazy dances on tiktok i will not <laughs> right i mean my generation they'll be oh my god what is this but then yeah exactly yeah first of all it won't look pretty so why should i put it up (laughs) so we have to make smart choice nobody is going to yank thing from you if you don't give it to them yeah that's true so so you have to be careful you don't give out your credit card number Mm -hmm. right you don't give your bank account number suppose you get an email well, we have just come to $200 million and we don't know how to spend it. You know, if only you give me your bank account, social security number, driver's license, I'm going to deposit $50 million into account. If you respond to that, then, well, no, exactly. you should not. <laughs> you, so we have to be savvy because there are always people who are trying to exploit our vulnerabilities and, and so on. So we have to be savvier. So what I tell you is that watch it. Okay. Be careful. Be alert. And, and, you know, be careful about what you share. So I definitely agree with where you're coming from around. One, a lot of the apps right now, I was talking about this with some folks around some of the apps that are more popular with the AI artists that are getting folks to download their images and things like that into them. Um, and folks are concerned, right, about where their data is going and things like that. In particular, I know you have a lot of experience in face recognition. What are some of the privacy concerns with that? Yeah, the way the data is collected for training face recognition system must be above board, mm. must be transparent. Okay. I actually served in a committee that was constituted by a state senator in Maryland, Senator you know, Sidnor, and there is a discussion about that in chapter three. Mm. And he was trying to get some regulations passed because of privacy concerns and you know whether it will be abused, misused, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that team had police chiefs, it had ACLU people, it had attorney, state attorney, office representatives, and so on. And we, we came up with some kind of a bill, but still it didn't pass this time, I think, because there were still some issues, uh, whether, you know, uh, auditing is allowed or not in terms of how, you know, police will use a face recognition system. So I think it has to go through a few trials so yes there are some systems that are working now where they have collected face from web everybody without really playing any concern about whether they give consent or not so those systems run into trouble sometimes because you know they can get into legal difficulties so we have to be able to say how we trained our system what data set we used how we collected the data all of those things have to be transparent so people can trust that nothing untoward was done here in designing this system you know if you look at various drugs that we are all taking in behind every such drug there is a whole set of protocols they will tell you how they tested it and you know what happened what are the side reactions what are so that kind of auditing has to be done for any ai algorithm so people will know exactly uh, what happened here uh, that is the way that may hopefully you know address some of these concerns i think face is very personal so we are very careful about it right so yeah because i know yeah. i remember one time i was in my iphone and i looked at the section that said had grouped all my pictures by face and i'm like i didn't ask for this i'm sure i agreed to something in some terms and conditions but i didn't ask for it and even i know on 
sites like Facebook, same thing. They're like, is this so-and-so or what have you? And they're doing a lot of yeah. um, mm-hmm. looking at your face to recognize you. Some people are okay with it. I'm personally not. Yeah. So I do understand where you're coming from. And I agree wholeheartedly that there should be guidelines around how you explain to the public what's happening with these different devices. Yeah. I'm glad you call that out. Right. Yeah, because all you see sometimes is that, you know, you are being videotaped here, you know, just a little note, right? So maybe we should then all wear a mask and, and, and they walk around, right? So <laughs> <laughs> they have to announce that they do. But I think uh, when they design a system and they put it out for use, uh, I think uh, more uh, details should be provided about how the data was collected. It's going to be uh, happening. But right now, there is no federal regulation right. for face recognition. So some cities have taken some actions and some you know cities are wondering what to do with it and so on. So it's in a kind of uh, limbo right now. Yeah, that's the interesting part is I feel and I could be wrong, but I feel like at one point, government was way ahead of innovation on things like the internet, going to space and all that. And I feel like now government is more so chasing the innovations as it relates to how we regulate or think about those things. And in the absence of that, a lot of technologies are popping up, which is great. I'm all here for innovation. Like, I love this stuff. But then at the end of the day, I'm wondering, like, how then do we make sure, like you just said, if if cities are popping up cameras on the corner and we see that in a lot of different places, D.C. or in a lot of other places places where literally all these recordings are happening what's happening how are they stored what's happening to that data like i don't know personally so it's just interesting to see where this is going Mm -hmm. i think in ai private sector is ahead private going ahead and uh, you know government entities are catching up and so on well, it's been like that. I mean, Boeing is a private company, builds great planes, and so does Lockheed Martin. And so, and then, you know, company, government buys planes from mm-hmm. them. Yep. <laughs> so I think government will buy AI systems from these various companies uh, that are doing, you know, cutting-edge research in AI. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I definitely agree. Because I know even folks who are doing things in predictive, they're using private sector technologies. I think maybe yeah. one county I've worked with, they created their own, but that's rare. Um, It's more often the private sector is leading in this space for sure. Right. Yeah. Let's shift the conversation a bit because I know people are listening and they're like, this AI stuff sounds cool. It sounds like it's the future. You're telling me, Dr. Rama, that we're going to be working together with AI. What would you say to people who want to dive into this field and how can they get involved in it if they see it as a career or a place where they want to learn more? How do they do that? Yeah, oh, definitely. We actually are working on bringing a high school unit, two units, to discuss AI in the context of uh, self-driving cars and so on. Lessons are being written now and things like that, what kind of questions should be asked and so forth. I think if anybody who has computer science background mm-hmm. can easily you know, get into that, it's, it's very easy. It's a start in undergraduate curriculum in computer science and engineering in, in most places. Mm-hmm. And you can read, you know, there are a lot of books. And of course, many of them are technical. Yeah. So I don't want to be advertising my book, but... <laughs> Advertise it, it. Yes, it's it's something they can read. And there are other books like that. There's actually another book written by Henry Kissinger and one of my colleagues in computer vision, Dan Hutton-Locker at MIT and, and so on. They have written a book about AI. Of course, these days, so much is available in the open literature. If you just have to, you know, go and... And there may be even uh, courses given in in a community colleges and so forth to learn about AI. They can do that. 
I think those are the places. Then, of course, we come to graduate school. You know, we give you a lot of courses to take AI. Yeah, it's AI is everywhere now to to learn, and it's it's a fascinating uh, field. And it sounds like you're not saying it's impossible. It sounds like you're saying it's very possible for a listener to go learn more about this. Very much so. I mean, I never, I never think that anybody cannot learn mm. anything they want once they set their mind to it. Mm-hmm. That's all. It's simple focus, attention, and spend some time with the books. Podcasts, there are a lot of video lectures available, a lot of podcasts on AI, various aspects that they can uh, learn. It is learnable, just like you know, any computer science course, engineering course, it's learnable. And if you are not an engineering person, but you are interested in ethics and so forth, AI also gives tremendous opportunities now to explore, you know, ethical AI has become a field by itself. So you can do that. If you are in medicine and you want to apply AI to medicine, you know, they do MD, PhD. The PhD component can be in AI and they can do MD. Or if you want to do business, uh, financial intelligence, you know, that's also possible. Wherever there is data, now AI can jump into it. So, you know, and data is everywhere, for example, legal things ai can summarize it for you oh yeah yeah if you have a hundred page uh, you know thing if you don't have time to read it may just reduce it to two pages mm-hmm. so it'll be useful in law useful in business useful in medicine useful in engineering design you know so on and so forth so anybody maybe we can even uh, train an ai to do your taxes <laughs> i i think we can at some point i believe that <laughs> yeah i mean we do have turbo tax and all of those things but they are not thinking you have to enter mm-hmm. and they kind of verify but ai can say hey, you know what given this maybe you can take this detection how about that <laughs> i would support that <laughs> And even on the legal side, I have my JD. And one of the things that was very sad for me when I was in school, because I'm a math person as well, but a lot of lawyers will say, I don't do math. That's why I'm a lawyer. But I was telling them like, hey, AI and other technologies are literally, I think there was an AI tool that beat a contract employee and was able to go through way more contracts than any of us will be able to read or uh, legislation and things like that and help decision-making and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just very interesting how some fields, I'm a little nervous, they're going to have to get on board with technology when they're not necessarily looking at it right now. You know, that's interesting. I always felt to be a a great lawyer, you have to be a great mathematician. They don't believe that. Because, you know, logical reason. The logic piece is there, but they don't equate it. Yeah, right. The law says X, Y, and Z, and the the conditions are A, B, and C. Exactly. Where is it applicable? Where is it not? So I actually had one meeting. I was there, and the person who was raising questions about privacy and face recognition and ethical considerations, his mm-hmm. PhD was in mathematics. I said, wow, that's good. <laughs> so I said, mathematics teaches you is to be precise in mm-hmm. what you say. And uh, so definitely to be a good lawyer, you have to be very good in mathematical reasoning. I'm glad you said that because now every lawyer listening, you've heard it from a doctor, a PhD who knows this stuff you all can do. It's logic. It's the same thing. So thank you for saying that out loud because it's truly important. I want to talk about really quickly, normally I ask every guest on the show, how do you think your particular topic will impact the world? So I'm going to ask the same of you. Why do you think it's important for listeners to understand how AI will affect our lives? Let's think back and look at some of recent technologies. Okay. Internet. 
suppose you choose okay i'm not going to have anything to do with internet think about what your life would be <laughs> or okay cell phones no i only like the ones that are tethered to the wall okay so what would it be right uh, so we had you know web technology right mm-hmm. okay so we can think uh, all these technologies and we all adopted it and we learned how to use it to improve our efficiency to improve our knowledge and to improve other things right so ai you should view it as another technology mm. which is now able to process the data that's available that's being collected mm-hmm. uh, and then it will provide some you know help with some making some informed decisions right it, depending upon various stages of your life can help you when you are young with education mm. especially for students who have learning disabilities right. it it can be patient it can go over the material again and again and teach and so forth mm-hmm. uh, years ago somebody asked me what my moonshot would be in education i said i want one physical teacher and 30 virtual teachers mm. because a class has 30 students and the right. teacher cannot pay equal attention to all 30 students they always focus on the middle so, so mm-hmm. to speak yeah. and there are some very smart ones and they may get bored and there are some who are struggling to catch up yeah. and who are left behind now ai can kind of cater to personalized you know medicine personalized education and so on so all of these things are going to be there and so we should adopt the technology it's not a totally new technology as i said ai is uh, you know ready to collect social security and medicare <laughs> it's, it's an old thing but it's using new techniques that have come up because we have data and we have computing power we are understanding how to mine the data and make it work for us so i think they should embrace it they should be cautious right mm-hmm. so we all use internet and we are told when you get a suspicious email don't click on it right so we listen to that if we don't listen to it then we are going to be in trouble mm-hmm. somebody will hack into our machine and so on so that doesn't mean that you will never stop using your computer or you won't use internet or you won't use web and so on no we have to use all these technologies and technologies uh, somebody will abuse it for their own personal benefits and so on so we have to watch for it and be careful be alert but let's uh, explore this technology let's embrace ai and let's see what it can do for us in various uh, ways in various portions of our lives if you are elderly we may like to have a bunch of wearable sensors telling us you know how things are going for us so i tell people oh what about this wearable sensor i say well just like a tesla has cameras and abs and all those things we can have fitbits we can have apple watch we can have other kinds of sensors that can watch for what's happening and tell us you know if things are okay you know so that is potentially possible in the you know last you know few decades of our lives and so forth so you can see ai can you know work with you for the entire segment in various places it can i think it's actually interesting to think about it for your 2 year old we talked about mm-hmm. from chat gbt onwards 8 year old for you know mm-hmm. playing chess maybe ai can play chess with the kid and learn no moves and and so on and then education and then you know various new technologies can be taught and you know it just goes like that yeah so it will it is something to understand to learn and uh, I think that will be good. And I I definitely love the idea of the education piece, especially as we talk about education in this country, to be able to give a child 
an AI that can focus on them, their learning styles, their ability, and even work with them outside the classroom, that would be amazing. And I just think there's so many potential with it. So I'm going to ask you the question on the cover of your book and want to hear your answer. So Dr. Shalapa, can we trust AI? Qualified, yes. Awesome. I love it. So people are going to want to know where they can get your book, where they can get in contact with you. Feel free to do any promotions and talk about the book more. Where can we find you? What do you have going on? Yeah, the book is available on Amazon and, and and other places you can order books. And Johns Hopkins University Press also can send you these books. My, uh, I'm not present in uh, Twitter, TikTok, and those sorts of things. Facebook, I have a, a small presence. Once in a while, I look at what my other colleagues say. Years ago, when I wanted to get in to understand what Facebook is all about, I asked my son whether he'll be my friend. He said, yes. I asked my daughter, she said, absolutely not. So <laughs> I understand. And uh, so, you know, so they can go to my website, aiem.jhu.edu. It's for AI for engineering and medicine. Awesome. .jhu for edu. And as we talk about education, since AI can be global, just imagine how much of uh, learning and education can be done across the globe. After all, I was a skinny kid in Chennai, and you know I I came to know of United States when I was in third grade mm. because my headmistress was coming to United States to take a tour of the schools here, mm-hmm. and that's the first time I heard United States of America. Right, I was eight years old, and the reason why I remember it is there was a big function in the school, and the teacher, you know, the headmistress came and said she's going, and they put garlands on her and then you know and so forth so i said oh, this must be something a you know a cool place because if they're making such a big deal about that and then when i was 10 years old i wrote to the u.s embassy in delhi asking for a book about united states and two months later i got a beautiful book i love it <laughs> so what i'm saying is this is before when ai was not everywhere now ai can be everywhere so kids everywhere can dream and and then think of technologies and build new technologies and so forth. So I think AI can, can be a force for good. I love it. I think there's no better way to end than that. Um, folks listening, we'll make sure to drop everything Dr. Shalapa said in the uh, show notes so you can get his book. Make sure you check it out. It's a great read. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to yeah. seeing what you're doing in the future. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too. That is a wrap for the AI Decodes the System podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation with today's guest. Please make sure you go to wherever you listen to this podcast and download, subscribe, like. Make sure you show us that love so we can know that you are loving the content we're putting out. Also, feel free to add a comment and rate us. Thank you all so much and see you next time.